0: Hello, welcome to the Daily Disciples Bible Study Podcast. My name is Bobby Brooks and I will be your host for today's show as we continue our study in the book of Philippians. On today's show, we are reviewing and looking a little closer at Philippians chapter 2. We learned in chapter 1 of Philippians as we kind of overviewed the book that the author is the Apostle Paul. He writes this book or this letter while he is in prison in Rome. He's under house arrest. The years are between AD 60 to AD 62. And this is the fourth of his what's known as the prison letters. He writes this letter to a church in Philippi. It was the first church in Europe that he founded about 11 years prior to the writing of this letter. Paul loves this church. He has a great affection. He is not writing to them out of a place of needing to discipline or even highly exhort them. He is writing from a place of love and encouragement. This epistle is often known as the epistle of joy because Paul mentions the word joy or rejoice many times, depending upon the version or the translation of the Bible you're using, you will come across that word well over a dozen to two dozen times throughout the four chapters. So let's open in prayer and then begin our study of chapter two. Lord, we thank you that we have such a privilege and an honor to open your word together. We praise you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will speak to each of our hearts. I thank you that for those listening, Lord, that you have a message for everyone personally, individually, And I ask you, Lord, that we will be reminded of how your love brings such comfort and joy and that we are not alone as long as we are in the fellowship of the gospel together. I pray that you will bless us and may you be glorified, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the first couple of verses of chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. This is Paul's beginning of chapter 2, where he is encouraging the, the Christians at Philippi that if there is any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection of mercy... It is bringing him joy. It's fulfilling a part of his joy because he considers them to be like-minded, that they have the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. It reminds me of in Acts chapter 2 when the, the disciples and several people, over a hundred or so, were in, gathered in the upper room, and they were praying and praising and waiting for something to happen. Jesus told them to go and wait, but they were one accord. They were together. And that's how we bring about the comfort of love, the fellowship of the Spirit, is when we are in one mind of one accord, having the same love, like-minded, same hearts in Christ. And that's the key word, the key phrase, The key message, if there is any consolation in Christ, our only consolation, our only comfort comes when we are of one mind, of one accord in Christ. And in return for that, there will be a fulfillment of great joy. We will be filled with joy. So in verses 3 and 4, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So I am just want to focus for a minute on the word let and I'm reading from the New King James version but this is a little bit of his exhortation this is not a a discipline as I said this is not the same type of tone of letters that he wrote to some other churches like the Corinthians but he is exhorting them to be uh let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself that means we are not to do things that will pump ourselves up that will bring attention to ourselves we are to be meek it's like when jesus says the meek will inherit the earth in the beatitudes they're is something about when we are in Christ and we are completely under the control of the Holy Spirit, sold out for Christ, as we learned in chapter 1, Paul was, for sure, being a bond servant of Jesus. Lowliness of mind is a... Uh, it's, it's deeper than even a humility. Not using our mind that gives us a promotion in our thoughts that we're somehow better than someone else. We're not in competition. We're not looking for an award or reward on earth. And to let, uh, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. It's in our minds that we judge. It's in our minds that we compare our thoughts. We think things. And by doing so, we can find ourselves being conceited and doing things based upon our strength and our ambitions and not necessarily based upon what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. And in this particular message, as Paul is saying, being in that place under the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be much more submitted to what the Lord wants for the better of others, to help others. In verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Just following up on the same kind of message. Yes, we need to take care of ourselves, but we also should be looking around at others and taking care of those and praying for those who need something, who have issues or problems or need help. We should have our thoughts on them. And it's, he uses the words, let nothing be done. Then he talks about the mind. And then he says, look out. So we should be thinking, we should be looking, we should be doing, and that's where our faith gets put into action. That's where the power of the Holy Spirit works through us to further the gospel, to be in fellowship with the gospel, and to actually know that we're not doing this for our own selfish gain. And then in verse five and six, let this mind, again, he's talking about the mind, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So he gives us Jesus as the perfect example of what he is telling them or Exhorting them or encouraging them as a church to behave like this mind in you is the mind of Christ, and He left us the Holy Spirit. For those who believe, who have been born again by the Spirit, we now have the mind of Christ. So if Jesus can come to earth being fully God, taking on the form of a man, And making himself of no reputation. Meaning he was not conceited. He was not actually doing things to promote himself. He was promoting the belief in the Father. He came to save. And he came to bring salvation to the Jews and ultimately to the Gentiles. But he had to take the form of a lowly man I mean, I can't even, none of us can imagine what it would be like to be Almighty God and and, and agree to come into these earthly bodies, these falling apart bodies, these wretched minds. But He gives us the example of what it is to have a mind focused completely to God the Father. And that's who we today can have the mind of. And if we have the mind of Christ then we will have the things the the scriptures have already talked about. The uh, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and mercy. We will have joy. We will have the fruit of the Spirit. We will walk worthy of the calling. So in verses 8 and 9, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, we know that Jesus came born of a virgin and walked the the earth as a man, fully God, fully man and he had one mission ultimately and as he healed did miracles fulfilled isaiah 61 healed the blind he healed the sick he set the captives free came to save but he also knew he would end up on a cross he knew that he would not uh, live to be an old man and die like everybody else he was god he had to come as the final sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God, to die for all the sins of mankind. That not just the lamb once a year in the temple that took care of the sins of the people once a year, Jesus came to be the final, ultimate sacrifice, sacrificial lamb. And his death on a cross required him to have the mind of God, to have a mind that overcome his own physical parts of a human. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and his prayers, his time of prayer, resulted in sweat beads of blood. If your will, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. In other words, he was struggling even then, that human part of him. At any point, Jesus could have called down legions of angels he could have said, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going a different path. He could, he could have, but he didn't. He was obedient. He had the mind to overcome any temptation. And he had a mission to complete the will of the Father. And because he did that, his name, Jesus, is the name above all names. God exalted him. God Given him has given him the name which is a name, name above every name, and one day, everyone will bow, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It says that every name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Many places in the Bible that we are given the foretelling of Jesus' coming, the power of His name, and in the end, all will bow, all will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. So why should we not, right now, while we're on the earth, while we are Christians, While we believe in the name of Jesus, pray to have His mind. Pray that we would, as Christians, be of one mind, of one accord, having the same heart. Why would we not want to be like Jesus? Now, we all have a cross to bear. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And it's a daily cross that we bear Because our minds are filled with things of the world. The mind that is in this body of flesh struggles with distractions, temptations, desires. And as Paul warned, do not do things out of selfish ambition or conceit. Well, that's our mind. And as some would say, in our hearts. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Uh, We're born with a deceitfully wicked heart, mind. And it's only when we are born again by the Holy Spirit. In John 3, Jesus talks to Nicodemus about have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not reborn in the womb, but born of the Spirit. So to have that mind of Christ means that we have the Spirit of Christ in us, which Going back to the issues of the world and the issues of the flesh, it means that we have to stay walking of unity of mind with the Holy Spirit. And it sure helps to be in fellowship with others who encourage us, who remind us, who help us remember these things. Because otherwise, the world will completely take us further and further away from what The mind of Christ is telling us to do. And we can measure whether or not we are walking with the mind of Christ by how much joy we have, how much peace we feel, how much comfort of love express or have in our hearts on a regular basis. The cares of the world are very distracting, and the issues in the world today are very disturbing. We have a lot of thoughts that take us away from the mind of Christ. So this is where we each have to remember we take up our cross daily. We need to be in the Word, in prayer, not focused on ourselves, but focused on others, praying, interceding, asking for the Lord to guide us, lead us. Do not be selfish, self-centered especially in the days in which we live. And if you're struggling with those things, just get on your knees and ask the Lord to forgive you, to bring to mind things that are taking you away from having the mind of Christ. Maybe you have gotten distracted, not been in the Word, not spending as much time with the Lord. Maybe your mind goes to places that are not godly. All we have to do every day is just ask the Lord for forgiveness, and renewal and another chance, and we got it every day, every day is a new day in Christ, so verse twelve, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in uh, not as in my my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now this is a very encouraging message because on the one hand he's he's saying my beloved again he's he loves this church at philippi he loves this group and he's saying you've always obeyed not even in my presence sometimes it's kind of like if if someone is in authority over us we we might be behaving versus what we do alone when we're alone and no one's watching god is always watching so that obedience to do what Christ would do, to have the right. Sometimes it's a moral compass. Sometimes it's just knowing that we each have these convictions that we know what we should do and shouldn't do, whether someone is watching or not. But now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. To work out our salvation, it's not that we have to work for our salvation. He's not saying work for your salvation. It's working out It's really about walking it out in faith. It's how we walk out the fact that we are Christians, that we call ourselves Christians. It's how we live our lives with examples of the mind of Christ being played out in front of others and even when we're alone. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So the responsibility, when we are truly walking in faith, when we are Having that one accord with Christ, that mind of Christ, then we, the Lord is the one who is responsible for working through us. The power of the Holy Spirit leads us to walk out our faith. The power of the Holy Spirit helps us to overcome things in our mind that want to distract or take away from doing what. The Lord has called us to do, wants us to do, whether it be a situation, a small thing, or a large thing, for lack of a better word. So, this is God's work, and He is doing it to will and to do for His good pleasure. He loves us. He loves working through us. He wants us to come and pray, Lord, help me walk out this faith. Help me walk worthy of the conduct of the gospel. Help me to have your mind, think your thoughts, be in your will. Help me to not be selfish. Help me to think of others. Help me, Lord, to be more like Jesus. I mean, those kinds of prayers, even though they may sound at times like, oh, I pray it all the time. What, what does it really do? Well, it shows the attitude of our heart. And God's grace is all sufficient. His, His grace is going to cover us. As long as we are praying with the sincerity of heart and mind to do the Lord's will, God is going to be faithful to complete the good work He started. We saw in uh, chapter 1. Verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast as the, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So this is now Paul saying. So now that you're you're doing this, now that you're praying this way, now that you've got your mind set and you're walking out, your your <laughs> your uh, conduct, do it without complaining. And disputing. Get along with others and do it with the right attitude. Having a heart that wants to just trust the Lord and give it all to God so that we'll become blameless and harmless, that there won't be any fault in the midst of of us versus a crooked and perverse generation. That's the world. They're the people who do not know Christ do things very differently. We, there should be such a clear distinction between those in Christ and those who are not in Christ. But in the world today, there's not. Now, there's people who go to church. There are people who are Bible teachers, who are pastors. But only God knows what's going on inside each of our hearts and how we're each walking out what the Holy Spirit's leading us to do. And the good works of people can be very selfish and may not be what the Lord is telling them to do, but look good to everybody else. So this is where we are called to um, make sure that we're not complaining or disputing with others and that we are and we won't do that as long as we have the mind of Christ and we are doing things for others not with selfish ambition and as a result we will shine as lights in the world because think about the world today social media has brought such a level of attention people will do anything to get attention and to grow their social media accounts Now, the younger generations, my generation, did not grow up with social media. I still still learn many things about it, and some things I completely have issues with. Don't feel like I need to be on social media as much anymore. But there are people who live and die on social media. And there are people who literally die because of their social media. That is a God, a false God, that has come into our world, really, over the last couple of decades. This is a recent development that has had tremendous, incredibly powerful uh, repercussions, some good, but a lot of negative uh, issues with social media. And it becomes a, our identity for people who have become um, influencers, who want to grow their, their following. And they literally will post and do things that are far from godly, far from... What we, some people would say, is representing Christ. And yet, there are many Christians who do it. We should be using any platform and every platform to be lights in the world. And unfortunately, it's a very fine line in how we do that and maintain a lowliness of mind. That is a very difficult path. To be lowly in mind, to be not conceited, not arrogant, and blow up our social media all in the name of the gospel. I've been there, done that, and it can be as as disputing as anything else because there are people who will, quote, troll accounts just to be nasty and mean. That's the ways of the world. We can try to be lights, and my only comment on that is do as the Holy Spirit leads you do everything in prayer, do everything to the glory of God, and leave the results to Him. Because in verse 16, holding fast the word of life, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And he is speaking about his work he has done with this church. And that is how many of us as teachers and Christians today feel who have worked hard to put forth the gospel message or Bible teaching or pastoral messages or whatever we've done under the Christian umbrella. We don't want it to be in vain. We don't want to feel like we've run out of energy and it's in vain. Nobody's listening. Nobody cares. It's not making a difference. And that attitude in some regards can be selfish. In Paul's case he is in prison. He has lost everything. He is completely sold out to the gospel. Only he can say this. We live in a very different world today than what Paul is in, but he's talking to a church who is very much in the world under Roman and Greek culture, and a lot of people around them are pressuring worldly things. And so he is giving them a message to be of one mind, one accord in Christ, the mind of Christ, and walking out your faith without complaining and disputing. And then the rest of this chapter, he is actually talking about sending Timothy. He says in, in, I'll finish verses 17 and 18, "...yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly." "...that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me." That really doesn't need any explaining. The only person that Paul trusts right now is Timothy. To send to this church to continue uh, preaching and, and overseeing Paul's work, because he has noticed everyone else there is there's no one else like like-minded. For all seek their own, and we have to look around us today and realize that is very true. Uh, Two thousand years later, this is this is true. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come with you shortly. Verse twenty-four, Paul really wanted to go back and see them. There's some that historians that think he may have uh, got back one time, but we don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't make that very clear. In verse 25, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For he indeed was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow after sorrow. Therefore I sent, I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. He actually had been sent from the church originally to give Paul a financial blessing, a financial gift from the church, and ends up getting sick somewhere between while he was in Rome and and as he was heading back to Philippi and almost dies. And so he is the one that possibly, uh, he actually sent this uh, letter to the the church of Philippi through this person. And the letter took a little extra time to get there because of his illness. But he didn't die because Paul would have been in even more sorrow. So, his message in chapter 2 is really one that reminds us we are here for such a short time and the world, as Jesus even said, you know, the, the world is going to be against you. The world hated me. The world's going to hate you. So, how do, we, how do we balance what it is to be in the world, not of the world? This church at Philippi was, again, under Roman rule, even though it wasn't in Rome, but it was, had a lot of Roman culture, Greek culture, and the influences Paul was concerned about uh, impacting the church and potentially seeping in and causing divisions and issues. Same thing happens today. So the message that Paul is giving to this church at Philippi, it's the same message that we can take to heart today. And what is it? Our only hope is to have and to pray that we are in one accord Of one mind, like minded Christians. And the only way we can do that is to understand that as a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit in us, so we have the ability to have the mind of Christ. That if we have the mind of Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, then we will not do things out of selfish ambition or conceit, that we will instead seek the interest of others over ourselves, that we will be of lowly mind, meaning incredibly humble, and we will walk and and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's a holy fear, meaning that to do all these things, first of all, we recognize the sacrifice Jesus made by leaving heaven, Godhood, and becoming a man who dies on a cross Fully God, fully man, feels every pain, knows every thought, and yet died for us so that we can overcome the cares of this world and find eternal life for the next greatest gift is our eternity with Him. But while we are here, that we will be lights in the world. And the only way we can be lights in the world is, again, having the mind of Christ being completely submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit every day to pray that our minds are not distracted, or interfered with by the cares and the ways, the greed, the very things he can, is concerned about with this church of selfish ambitions, the the destructiveness, the hatred, all the things that we see in our world today. Paul is concerned in A.D. sixty one sixty two about his. Beloved in Philippi. So as a final thought, so what can we do when we live in a world that we are bombarded with stimuli? We are completely distracted by so many things, a cell phone in our hand, lights and flashing, and we don't even know what it is to feel our own thoughts alone most of the time. We need to stay busy. We feel like we're not being productive if we're not busy. So how do we balance that? How do we work out this to make sure that we are serving the Lord, furthering the gospel, remaining in fellowship with the gospel? It begins, I believe, it begins every day with prayer. Even before you open the word, pray. Get on your knees, get into a quiet place, and begin asking the Lord to reveal to you things that you need to start considering. Most of the time, we do not even know. How selfish we are, how self centered we are, how judgmental we are. We don't even know it. And some of us are afraid to ask the Lord to show us. But that's the only way that we're going to find the peace, the comfort of love, the fellowship of the joy. It's the only way we're going to find those things that we desperately need to get through our day is by clearing out all the things that have gotten in the way. So we pray. For the Lord to reveal those things to us so that we can just turn around and say, I am so sorry, Lord. Forgive me and help me to change. I want to change. Help me to change. And then spend as much time as you need in prayer. And then ask the Lord to open your mind as you open His Word. And whatever your reading plan is, whether it's devotionals, maybe you're reading through the Bible, maybe you're reading through a book, whatever it may be, Just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and that throughout the day or the night, that that word would come back to you. And every day, if we do this process, we will see more of Him in us and less of us. We will realize on this earth that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the name above all names. We don't need to wait until we get to heaven to know it. We need to do it now, praying in Jesus' name, using the name of Jesus for power, not for anger or cursing, but for the authority that He has given us in the Holy Spirit. That's my little tidbit of application for you from chapter 2. And actually, it's application for every day of our lives as Christians, living in a world that is getting harder and harder to just survive. Thank you for listening. My name is Bobby Brooks, and I'll be back next time as we review Philippians chapter 3. God bless. Have a great day. Hope to see you soon.